On this week's episode of Orange Juice Optional, we are going to be talking about the Book of Joy. The episode might be a couple days late, but definitely worth the wait. So here we go. Why, hello everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Orange Juice Optional. I'm Michelle, and I'm here today, as always, with my good friend Suzanne. Hi, Suzanne. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing better than this internet connection. I can share that. Yeah, we kind of have a delay, so it could be a little challenging today. Yeah, but more challenging for our editors than for us, I think. You know, I'm so excited to say we were ahead of the game, and we recorded, prior to traveling, every episode through the middle of February but this one, our book club episode. So maybe we can mm-hmm. give them a little bit of a glance into our cruise life. We are currently in Rio de Janeiro. Yes, and we had a lovely day yesterday Suzanne, you conquered several of your fears because we went up to Christ the Redeemer on a train. On one side, there were hills. On the other side, it was a dead drop down to Rio. Yeah. And I had to look away for most of the ride up and down. Yeah. You had the best seat on the whole train and you didn't use it? Nope. Did not. Ah. Uh. Suzanne, what am I going to do with you? Except for when I took a picture of the Dorian fruit on the tree, because that was one of our trivia questions on the cruise. And for the record, the Dorian fruit from the trivia question was a fruit that had thorns on the outside, has a pungent odor, and is considered king of the fruits. And we guessed pineapple but it was actually the Dorian. I'm so happy that you brought up trivia, Suzanne, because maybe we can share with the listeners how bad we have sucked at trivia this (laughs) cruise. Yes, we have. And previous cruises, we did pretty well. We We had a respectable showing at every trivia. This time, we are tanking. We can't get a trivia question right to save our lives. Exactly. And we have smart people on our team. Like we each have our own area of expertise. Or so we thought. Or so we thought. Exactly. But yeah, we are tanking, not doing so well. We had maybe five teams playing the other day, and I don't even think we placed in the top three. We didn't. Otherwise, we would have earned points. Yeah. That is not bringing me so much joy. And I brought trivia games, trivia questions, so I could quiz everybody and we could get into that flow, but it's not helping. Yeah. No. Bottom line is we're terrible at trivia. We know nothing. Yeah. We know nothing that they speak of anyway. Right. Well, I think this is a good introduction to our topic today, which, of course, this is a book club episode, so we are going to be talking about the book of joy and Trivia is not bringing me joy. My friendships bring me joy. So maybe we should move on to that. Sounds good to me. And we're back. And as promised, we are going to be talking today about the Book of Joy. It was written by His Holiness the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu with Douglas Abrams. Did I say that right? Yeah, Abrams. I don't know. 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't care. Right. I just was expecting you to say that. Yeah. I don't care. I do have to say I chose this book because Desmond Tutu was the guest speaker at my son's graduation from Gonzaga University about 10 years ago. And he was the most inspirational speaker I have ever listened to. So I chose this book because I had such a great deal of respect for Desmond Tutu. I think it's really cool that he spoke at your son's graduation and it inspired you so much that you felt that you wanted to read the book. Right. And I will say... I have read several of Desmond Tutu's quotes, and I am always inspired by them also. He is a very brilliant man, as is the Dalai Lama, and what they bring from both the heart and the mind. Mm -hmm. And a little piece of trivia about Desmond Tutu, and it's not really about Desmond Tutu, but one of the reasons I was drawn to him, and people who know me well know that a man in my childhood, his name was Glenn Grove. He's the father of one of my dear, dear friends. And Desmond Tutu reminded me so much of Glenn Grove that I was immediately drawn to him. And so, you know, I have kind of become absorbed in who he is just because he reminded me so much of my, and my, he was my parents' dear, dear friend as well. So not only are you inspired by the man, but he brings a certain familiarity. Well, the Book of Joy is about a meeting that the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu had many years ago. I can't remember the exact location. It was kind of a conference between old friends, although I don't think they've met in person very many times. Listening to this. No. I found that the two men had great respect for each other and they could joke with each other and they could build on the other's ideas. And it was very fascinating to listen to. Right. Well, and I believe that, correct me if I'm wrong, there were three parts to the book and it was about ordinary people building like a sense of lasting happiness. Like what is happiness and what is the difference between happiness and joy? Correct? Exactly. Yes. That was a huge part of the story and the dialogue between them where happiness, an emotion and joy comes from the heart. Like you feel it inside. That is what right. I picked like up it's from a, the book. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to lie. I'm cheating a little bit because on my phone, some of my notes just came up. So so I can read to you what it says in my notes that I must have taken directly from the book. The first of the book's three sections is dedicated to understanding the nature of joy and to determine the definition of joy as a state of being versus happiness as an emotion. So it's joy is a state of being. You live in joy you can feel happiness, but not live in joy, or you can live in joy and not feel happiness. And I loved how this part of the book really broke down the different emotions and how joy can still be derived from them. Even if the emotion is lower in vibration, you can still find joy in all the ways to find joy. You can 
find joy and rejoice in the fact that you've had a sick child who is now feeling better. You can rejoice in, and I found this one interesting, in another person's misery. Like if that's what you choose to do, some people choose to find joy in another person's life not going well or them having a setback. You can find joy all around you. It just really is about your perspective and what's important to you. Mm -hmm. And here's an example of what you just said, which I have used this example many times. When my dad died at least 25 years ago, a dear, dear woman that belonged to our church sent me a card and she wrote in the card, rejoice for today is the day the Lord has made. That is a woman who lives in joy because she she was a dear woman. She loved my father. And that's how she looked at death. And that's how I choose to look at death also to the best of my ability. Of course, you know, for everybody left here on earth, it's easy to step into grief or sadness. But there is that part about going home and being with the Lord and rejoicing in that salvation. So I do get that. and I understand that. And there was no happiness in the fact that my dad had died, but she found joy in the fact that my dad had died. And she was sharing that with me. And all these years later, I mean, that stands out to you as the example, which it it touched your heart. Absolutely. For me, like, I I will be honest, listening to this book, I'm, I'm very happy that I got to listen to it rather than read it. Because if I were reading the book, I think I would have drifted off into my own mind because I found myself doing that listening to the book because it's so much how I try to live my life day to day. I'm not 100% successful at it, but I try to live from a place of joy and finding the silver lining rather than finding darkness or despair, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. Well, that was part one of the book, Suzanne. What was part two? Do you have that in your notes? Okay, so... I think the second part of the book was about dealing with obstacles that stand in the way of creating joy. What I have written down here is expectations. High expectations can cause anger. And it's like anger and high expectations are an obstacle to finding joy. It's like if your expectations are too high, someone's going to let you down. And you can't find joy in it. It's, it acts as an obstacle to getting to where you want to go. Another one is loneliness. I think everyone suffers from loneliness at some point in their life. And I think it's such, as we all know, we've all experienced loneliness. And I think that emotion or that feeling can stand in way, it stand in the way, it's an obstacle to finding joy. That is an emotion you can definitely get lost in and let it lead you down a path that does block joy. So I did love so many of the examples that they gave. One of them actually reminded me of you, though. Oh, which one? The one where he was driving and he got cut off and rather to step into anger, he stepped into maybe they had an emergency. How would that remind you of me? Because we were in Phoenix driving in traffic the other day or a couple of months ago, the lady with her horn honking, honk, like that. And I was getting so annoyed. And you're like, maybe she's in an emergency or maybe she's trying to get someone's attention. So you stepped 
in and switched it from being annoyed to being more generous with your thoughts. Well, that's true. I guess that is a good example. And let's be honest, you have been known to be a little road ragey. Well, that's where I thought you were going with this, because I do tend to do the road rage thing. And and when I'm driving by myself and someone cuts me off or I get behind a slow truck, it's like I try to talk myself down from that by saying, it's just a bad luck day. It's just bad luck that, or my timing was bad, that I pulled out in traffic and got behind this very slow moving vehicle. Not his fault. It's a slow moving vehicle. Just bad timing. So you really do step into joy. Well, I th- I hopefully, hopefully, sometimes you got to dig deep. Sometimes you have to dig really deep and, you know, navigating emotions are, it's hard to do. It's hard to take a situation that causes you pain or hurt or discomfort or anger and turn it into something joyful, turn it into a perspective that brings you some sort of peace of mind rather than doom and gloom or anger or whatever you want to say. Right. So do you want to talk a little bit about the eight pillars of joy? Because each one of those pillars really does feed into living a joyful life. And I love how they break it down and explain it. Here's what I have, but I'm not sure because I didn't in my notes put that this is what we're looking at. Perspective and humility, humor and acceptance, forgiveness and gratitude, compassion and generosity. Is that eight? You nailed it. Yeah, Those are yeah. the eight pillars to joy. And we can briefly touch on each one of the pillars. I do want to say that they broke it into four pillars that have to do with your state of mind, and then four pillars that projecting from your heart. Right. So the first one being perception in life, how you view the world around you. Do you want to talk a little to that, Suzanne? Well, why don't you tell me your thoughts? Well, my thoughts on perception, just the importance has to do with the importance of shifting it. Many of us live our lives with our immediate world being the focus. It's a very small focus. It's not maybe big picture focus. So I try to live my life projecting it out beyond the immediate me of it trying to look at the bigger picture just rather than this one circumstance or this one thing that's keeping me down because life is made up of many different things. And to put so much energy on one thing and think that is like the biggest thing in the world ever, where in four or five days, it's going to be resolved and it's going to be like, what? I was worried about that. Shifting your perspective from the small day-to-day into a bigger picture is kind of how I look at it and think about it. How about you? That is how I try to look at life as well. I especially remember that when my kids were growing up and I was trying to, and everything was a crisis. And I would always say to myself or to anyone who would listen, I know that a year from now, this is just going to be another drop in a bucket or a grain of sand that I won't remember, I won't care about. Today, it feels like a huge crisis, but a year from now, it's just not going to matter. And I slipped away from that somewhat as the kids got older, but I've come back to that. Like, what is 
such a crisis today in a year, it either becomes my new normal and I've learned how to live with it, or it's just not that big of a deal to me anymore. Exactly. And there is so much growth in just being able to do that. And it's important to also, when you're thinking about perception and how you perceive the world, it almost steps into giving grace to others. And when you look at somebody who's having a struggle or is behaving in a way you don't understand, like we were talking about earlier, give them some room because maybe we're not seeing the full picture and to shift the perspective from being annoyed to, well, maybe there are circumstances beyond my control. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, the second pillar of joy they talk about, that mental one is humility. And that speaks mm -hmm. for itself. I do try to live my life being humble, seeing myself as putting on my pants one leg at a time, just like everybody else, giving people the benefit of the doubt to the best of my ability, not thinking myself greater or bigger or smaller either. It could go either way, but like humility is not really a small thing. It's more of the bigger thing. Right. And it is. But to that point or to their point, I do have a little bit of an issue with this one because they describe it as in fact, I have this in quote, so it must be directly from the book. When you're dealing with the stress or sadness, keep the big picture in mind and realize how small the thing you're dealing with actually is. By remembering that your problems aren't unique, that there are millions of other people dealing with similar things every day, it can either make you feel foolish or it can make you feel like you're not alone. To that point... I also believe you can't negate what you're dealing with by saying, oh, I know someone else is dealing with a lot more than I am, so I can't deal with what I'm dealing with, or my issue isn't as important. Because to you that day, like it was with my kids when I was raising my kids, to me, on that day, it was a huge deal. And I, I don't think it's fair to say well, I know that a lot of people are dealing with things that are much bigger than mine. Because on that day, no, to me, my issue is the biggest thing I'm dealing with. And it doesn't really help me to think about other people that are dealing with bigger things. I want to allow myself to deal with big deals, knowing a year from now, it'll be a drop in the bucket. I can honor that thought process. And I completely agree that by not acknowledging what's going on in your life, you're selling yourself short. You're not giving yourself the time and the attention you need to work through what you need to and to grow and to handle that issue. So I do agree with you on that. Well, and to add to that, I also think if, if you are trying to comfort someone dealing with something that's big, a big issue to them, to say, oh, but there are people dealing with such bigger things, is dismissing what that person is dealing with by saying, just remember that there are other people dealing with much bigger issues, does not do anything to make the person dealing today with that issue feel any better. Dismissing what somebody's going through, whether it be yourself or somebody else, is just really not the way to approach it. And there are many ways to comfort a person without diminishing what they're going through and what their experiences mm -hmm. in the moment. Right. 
Well, what do you think about pillar number three, laughter? It's always good to find humor in any situation. And again, that's one of those things you have to dig deep to find it. You do have to dig deep to find it. Humor and laughter are things that I have tried to live by throughout my life. You know, you go to a wedding and they want you to write advice to a couple. I always write, laugh, laugh often, laugh out loud, laugh about yourself, laugh about your spouse, have fun and those inside jokes together because they can carry you through the hard times. And I really do believe that. I know when Rob was going through a health issue many years ago that him and I did choose to use humor. And some people were a little offended, but it is the way that him and I bonded about it. We made what was a very serious issue a little bit more lighthearted in our day-to-day life. And I think laughter is important. And I love that it's a pillar of joy. I agree with you. How about acceptance? I agree with acceptance as well. I, of course, go to the five stages of grief when because acceptance is one of those five stages of grief. And when you can come to accept what you're dealing with, that's when things seem to start getting better. And I love how he explained it in the the book. He was talking about something and said, I know that this happened. I know that I cannot change this. Do I like that it happened? No, I do not. But have I accepted that it's happened? It's part of the history. Yes, I have. And he just really clarified those as did you a few minutes ago. And I thought they did a great job talking about acceptance. Mm -hmm and the role it plays in our day-to-day life. Okay. I think that one's kind of cut and dry. It sure is. And again, those are the four things that, the four pillars that you deal with mentally. Again, perception, humility, laughter, acceptance. And then it moves more into the heart-based ones. Uh, The first one being forgiveness and how important is forgiveness in our lives. Right. But forgiveness is also one of the hardest things that I personally think a lot of people have to come to terms with. Because true forgiveness, in my mind, also is a way of forgetting what's been new. And if you haven't been able to dismiss or forget what needs forgiving, then you haven't truly deep down forgiven yet. I always say, I've forgiven, but I haven't forgot. But then that just keeps leading me down that road of reliving it whenever I get triggered. So it really does have to come Right. Different place. It has to come from deep down. And that's exactly what I was trying to say is that forgiveness, if you're still remembering, if you're still going back to it, if it's still triggering you, you haven't truly forgiven what happened. Have you heard of a show called The Curious Case of Natalia Grace? I have not. It is this story that I have been following on Discovery ID or yeah, it's Discovery ID. And it's a, about a little girl who was adopted out of Russia, I believe. And her adoptive family was horrible. They did all these things. She was a little person. And they had her birth year changed from reflecting that she was an eight-year-old child to like a 22-year-old so she could live on her own. And this little girl they put her in an apartment and she had to live on her own. 
and it was an apartment that was not suited for somebody with her needs. And it was just her whole story. So the first part of it had to do with the parents saying how they thought that she was somebody who was lying. And she said she was eight, but she was really 22 and how horrible Hmm. she was and that she tried to kill him. That was the first part. She could not respond because they were in court proceedings. So the most recent season of it, it was her story. And at the end of it, she forgave the dad in such a powerful way where you're thinking, how could you do that? I mean, you have a whole nation here, a whole world here who's like, how can you forgive him? But in that moment, it showed her doing Mm -hmm. it. And then she asked to pray with him or pray over him. It was really moving. And that's an example of forgiveness that hopefully that really did fill her heart and remove all the angst that he has caused her. It'd be hard. It would be hard. So that was just an example that I saw recently of if she was able to Mm -hmm. do that, what a huge capacity for choosing love over anger. Okay, so that was pillar five. Pillar number six is gratitude. I feel like I am the antithesis of what joy is because I have an issue with gratitude as well. You do? A little bit. So I recently, like say in the last year or two, went through a very, very emotionally challenging part of my life. And it was something that I had not ever encountered before, something brand new. And I was feeling like I needed professional help to get me through this. So I sought the help of a therapist. And this therapist couldn't see that I had one specific thing that I needed help with. And she kept going back to daily exercises of, you know, what am I grateful for? Where do you find gratitude? And I felt like she was missing missing the beat on what I was seeing her for. And so gratitude has become, in my mind, a very easy out. Like, we're going to solve your problems by helping you find gratitude. And it's like, well, no, this isn't going to solve the problem I'm dealing with. I need tools to help me get through this specific adventure I'm going on. I don't need to... I know where gratitude lies. I know how to be grateful. That's not helping my specific issues. So gratitude in my mind has become an easy out. Did you feel that by talking about gratitude, it dismissed what you were going through and what you were feeling? Yes. Yes. It was like not addressing what I needed help with. It was not presenting any information to me Because I understand gratitude, I think. I know how to be grateful. I know how to look at things and say, well, I'm grateful for this side of it, or at least this is working. Or, But yeah, what I was specifically dealing with was being dismissed because she wanted me to find gratefulness in day-to-day life in order to address one specific problem. And after several weeks of frustration, I was like, this isn't working for me. This is not helping. If I was going through something really hard or really challenging, I would need the tools too. It would be a lot harder. 
Yeah, it would be right. a lot harder to hold on to right. that day-to-day. I don't even want to use the word optimism, but that's what's coming to mind. I do always try to right. fall back on to gratitude. Right. But yeah, you need tools to get there. Right. And I don't like it when gratitude becomes the overriding tool to solve everything, because that's not what I was dealing with. I realized I'm a half glass empty person, but I can recognize gratefulness. I can see what I have to be grateful for, but it can't be the umbrella that solves the world's problems. Right. And or sometimes, my specific problem. Yeah. Sometimes what's going on in the day-to-day life overrides that ability to step into gratitude. So. That general, right, that general pillar, that general pillar of joy. Yeah. You've given me some food for thought on, on that one because <laughs> I don't think gratitude solves everything, but I find it easier to live my life when I can acknowledge those things and it brings me more joy, but it doesn't solve my problems. It doesn't solve the day-to-day things. I was going to say, and I'm not just talking day-to-day things. I'm talking about a specific like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I don't know how to handle this. Gratitude doesn't solve that issue. It's like, and yeah, do you hear what I'm saying? Because I agree with you that gratitude helps you get through a lot, but when you're blindsided by something knocks you off your feet, is gratitude really going to help you work through what you've been blindsided by? Definitely not. Definitely not. And I completely do hear what you're saying. And I'm not trying to minimalize it by saying day to day. I'm just talking about those events that totally immerse you and you can't escape it for any period of time. It's constantly on your mind. It's constantly at play. Gratitude is not going to help in those moments. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so I hold a little issue to that pillar of joy as well. So out of the eight, so far, I've criticized two of them. (laughs) Why don't we move on to compassion? What are your thoughts on compassion? Well, my thoughts on compassion are that is something that the older I get, the more experiences of life that I've had, I have become a much more compassionate person. And I think experience creates compassion. Because I think until you've experienced something, it's very difficult to find compassion for another human being unless you've had a little taste of what they're going through. Perfectly stated. I am an empath, meaning that I do take on the feelings and the emotions of others sometimes, and I can't quite separate them from myself. I'm a very compassionate person. It does bring me joy, but it also brings me like some headaches because sometimes I can't separate. But being compassionate, being able to see something from the vantage point of other people, it's a wonderful gift. So the more experiences we have, the more opportunities we have to help or to show up for people, I think that would bring a lot of joy. I think compassion is one of those things that grows on you. I think as you age, as you become experienced with suffering, the day-to-day suffering in life, you become a more compassionate person. Most people, some people like you are born with compassion. I don't think everyone is born with compassion. I will say that I have always seen it a little bit as a double-edged sword, being able to hear what somebody says and having compassion for their point of view to the point where 
I'm holding steady my line. This is how I feel. This is what I think. But if someone comes in and they explain their point of view, they explain why they're thinking the way they are, in that moment, I have so much compassion that I kind of overlook myself, if that makes any sense at all. I kind of put my needs on mm-hmm. the back burner in order to show up for them, even mm-hmm. though I still feel strongly, I have a lot of compassion. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, the last pillar that they speak about is generosity. And mm-hmm. that definitely brings joy. Being able to show up for people, not only with like finances, if you can contribute to a cause, but showing up with your talents showing up with your time, being a teacher, an educator to younger people or people who might not know, just being generous of the gifts that you hold does make the world a better place. That's how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. Well, I agree with you. I do believe that generosity is one of my gifts. And I go back to love languages. I express my feelings through generosity. I volunteer my time as often as I possibly can. I rare day when I say no to someone because I want to be generous with my help. I love to give gifts. And that truly, deep down, gives me joy. Not just happiness. This is deep-seated joy. And talk about a double-edged sword because I have been told by people that it makes them very uncomfortable if I am overly generous. And I never want to do that. I never want to make anyone uncomfortable. And I have to be very careful with that because, and I I always go back to my love language, because it gives me great joy to be generous. And like kindness, Joy that way is so contagious because you're getting such joy from the gift of showing up for being there, for being able to help. And you're giving joy to someone like deep felt joy and gratitude that will then carry on and spread out. So I completely get what they're saying about generosity. And I was going to bring up love languages also Mm -hmm. because the listeners know that that is your love language as well as my love language. And yeah, it's really hard when people say that makes me uncomfortable. So I try to read the room and scale back where I need to, but to show up and be there for people is very, very important. Although I have a hard time allowing people to show up for me. Oh, good point. Good point. Well, uh, those are the eight pillars of joy. I don't know if in the written version of the book, the last part of it was dedicated to different types of meditations that you can do. But the audiobook was, it talked about different types of meditation you can do for perception, for acceptance, for all these different things, which I found really helpful, but also mm-hmm. things that I kind of do in my day-to-day life anyway. I, I do meditate. I do give myself some time to think about ideas and to balance myself and check myself. So I like that ending of the book. Was that in the written version? To some degree. It was. However, I'm not going to lie because I am not a meditator. I pray. I'm I'm a person who prays a lot, which could be a form of meditation, but I am not a person who meditates. And so I may have just skimmed over that part of the book. 
I skimmed over it too, because it is something I do every day. I do meditate, but I see it as a form of prayer too. But I do say like my dedicated prayers also. So I kind of do a little bit of both. Well, Suzanne, with all those things that we've just shared about the book of joy, is there anything else you want to share with the listeners about it? No, I truly think this is an uplifting book to read. I think everyone should read it. And I think it is helpful understanding what joy is versus what happiness is and the importance of living your life with joy. And that is the best sum up I've ever heard. So wonderful job, Suzanne. Why don't we move on to closing? Sounds good. Well, Suzanne, you picked a doozy. It was an inspiring book. So thank you for that. We are moving on to February. And the book I've chosen, because it was my turn for the month of February, is Eligible. It's by Curtis Sittenfield. I may have mentioned it in a previous episode. But I'm super excited about this book because it's a modern telling of Pride and Prejudice. So read it. Enjoy it and have fun with it. I've already read it. And I have a lot to say. Yes. And now, <laughs> now I'm reading the original Pride and Prejudice. So there you have it. Yeah, which I might do, although I have three other books ahead of the original Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> you got a lot of reading to do for sure. And, you know, I'm happy that yeah. we were able to give a little bit of an update on our cruise. Again, these episodes were not recorded consecutively. We are recording this one while traveling. So you got to hear that we suck at trivia. Um, but we're all in good health. We're having a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a lot of stories when we get back to share. Yes, we will. And with all that, Suzanne, I do have something to sip on. I actually have two unless you would like to take it this week. No, you go for it. Okay. Well, the first quote that I have is this one. We are meant to live in joy. This does not mean that life will be easy and painless. It means that we can turn our faces to the wind and accept that this is the storm we must pass through. And that was by Desmond Tutu. So to be fair, we also have one by the Dalai Lama, and it goes like this. Our prime purpose mm -hmm. in this life is to help others. And if you can't help them, at least don't hurt them. So until next week, everybody. From somewhere in Brazil, Rio to be exact, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.